Did you know the United States ranks worst out of 40 countries for paid maternity leave? And in the United States, parents pay on average $1,100 a month for childcare for toddlers? It's stats like this that are exactly why I started my networking group, the Amplify Her Networking Group, which is focused on building community with women to make more money, connect each other with dream partners and clients, learn how to price our services, products, workshops, and classes, and just talk transparently about how much we're making, how much we're spending on childcare, how much we're adjusting our lives to fit these boxes that have been made for us. I truly believe that when you have community, you create change and you create confidence. The next Amplify Her Networking Group meeting is on Wednesday, April 5th, and I would love to see you there. You can head to www.amplifyhermedia.com backslash networking. Your first meeting is free, 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 free. So sign up through the form on my website that I just listed for your first meeting. If you've joined before and you want to come back as a member, you can join on that page. And there's also a drop-in page. So you can drop into a meeting anytime after your first meeting. I can't wait to see you on April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Amplify Her podcast. I am your host, Christina Singh, and I am just so thrilled to have you here listening to the Amplify Her podcast for another week. This week's episode is going to be so much fun. But first, let me just tell you really quickly, the Amplify Her podcast is all about amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories. Now, I have been hosting this show for about four years now weird um, and great. And it has been a road of ups and downs with this show. I have had over a hundred and I think we're on 117. I truly have no idea. Um, but I, <laughs> I finally crossed the hundred episode mark this year because I have no, we're on 115. Okay, great go me. Um, (laughs) And I finally crossed the 100 episode um, threshold this year. And I, um, it took me a long time to get there. You know, there are people who have gotten there much, much uh, faster than I have. And um, I have walked away from the show for a period of time and come back to it. And my goal um with this show is to always come back to it and be consistent and um, show up because I genuinely love doing this. It is like my favorite thing. So on this week's episode of the show, I wanted to compile a few moments from some episodes um, that I have recorded over the years, and I wanted to share some snippets with you all. So before each clip, I will, you know, say what this episode, what um, episode this clip is from, and I uh, will make sure to list the episodes that I um, am sharing with you all in the show notes. So if you want to listen to the full thing, 
feel free to go ahead and do so. Um, for those of you who are longtime listeners of this show, I love you so, so much. I'm so grateful that you're here. And maybe these clips will feel familiar to you. Um, enjoy this fun clip episode. And um, I hope you can enjoy some snippets from interviews with truly, truly incredible women um, over the years. And I will see you on Friday for a solo episode. Um, Sending so much love to you wherever you are today and enjoy. Episode 33, Be the Author of Your Own Novel with Maisha Drayton. The seed that I have planted through therapy is I am not responsible for everything. Mm. And that is, was a very freeing notion for me. It was a big breakthrough. And that sounds very narcissistic and very self-centered, but as a person who has worked in this field of service for so long, when any problem is presented, I think, okay, is my job my passion in life, my purpose to help solve. And that is a wonderful thing until you have nothing left for yourself or the people you love or the people you care about. Because when I told you how I moved up from from not only being behavioral, but systems, working one-on-one in behavioral, there's a great need, right? You, I mean, there's a good feeling that I've done something. You'll work, I'm working with Christina, she's amazing. And I can go home saying, wow, I helped. But when you're thinking system-wide, there really is, far and few in between where you feel like you've made a difference Mm -hmm. because systems are so big and complex. So what happened to me is that I kept going and going and going because I didn't see that change that I would see when I was working one-on-one with people. And that caused me to be empty. So knowing that I am not responsible for everything and the thing I've done is enough. Mm. I've done enough today. I've done enough today. I love this so much because I have that issue where <laughs> I'm a giver <laughs> mm-hmm. and, a, and, you know, there can be um, a thread of people pleasing that is in mm-hmm. there as well, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where if you're pleasing others, it feels really good. Like, oh, I did right. this thing and now I have that boost of energy that I wanted to see. Yes. Um, so for you, what does... Um, what does that, uh, you know, look like now in your life where you're not responsible for it all? Like, how do you, right. what actions are you taking now? Well, mention therapy. <laughs> yes. I'm, I, I listen, everybody get into therapy. Everyone gets to therapy. Get into 100%. therapy now. Yes. Even if you only do it once a month, get into therapy. That has been very, very helpful. The, the other thing is I do my homework for therapy. So, so right, it's not just, it, it's not, I won't say just, it has moved beyond me being full of anxiety and unloading on someone who can help me through it. It has really become a way to keep myself accountable. So listening to myself when I say like, nope, that's the old Maish. I'm not going to keep pushing and pushing like, oh, I didn't do anything today and feeling bad when I'm resting, sitting mm-hmm. there spooling, like, what do I have to do? Being present and being mindful has been helping. And listen, I don't win every day, everybody, your listeners, I don't win every day. But right. those kind of having those those tools to help me to pull back so that I'm not, like I said, having a vertigo attack and right. giving up. And this, I know if you have women listeners, you've heard this before, just giving up that superwoman trope, especially as being a black woman, 
we are really measured, our worth is measured by what we have done. Oh, black women save the country, black women vote, black women this, black, black women are the mother. Those kind of things, although they may feel reassuring at times, they're overwhelming and very hard to um, live up to. Yeah. So even when people are trying to support black women saying, oh, you are magic, you know, <laughs> you're strong, you're this, hearing that over and over again, when I'm not feeling so strong, now I'm feeling like I'm not living up to my potential. Right. So not even like putting on a front, but I'm supposed to be this superwoman. So I haven't lived up to the standard of what everybody's saying. So half of it is saying black woman ain't nothing. And the other half is saying we're everything. And there's really <sighs> no middle. There's no middle. So can I just be nothing. a person? <laughs> Right. We're either nothing or everything. Right. <laughs> and that's really difficult at times. Of course. And I'm just so grateful for you for sharing that and mm-hmm. for saying that because, you know, it, you deserve to be a person. <laughs> right. You deserve to just right, have right. a moment and just be human because you are. And yeah, right. You know, it, you don't have to be everything all the time for everyone. And I think there are a lot of people listening out there that would probably really needed to hear that and mm-hmm. that would resonate with them. Episode 31, Lessons from My Sexual Awakening with Kaylin McDuff. It's just being in this conversation, I really am so present to my journey through you. <laughs> Because you sort of have seen so many little nooks and crannies of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've seen me in some of my darkest moments, mm-hmm. you know? And I would um, argue so that your most beautiful moments. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Some of the toughest moments um, of my life, you've really seen me there. And I feel like we're so going to get emotional like, talking. About I, we're for sure going to get emotional. <laughs> Yeah, because just to let your listeners know the thing you didn't say, right, about my health diagnosis is just the way that like you, you were the one who held me there. You literally and, you know, I'll go into it. But um, but yeah, that's the thing that I'm just so present to right now. So um, just to to yeah, to backtrack, um, I, I grew up in Wyoming and And, you know, I learned a lot of the same messages that I think most women hear. I don't care like where you, where you were born. Like we all hear some version of your sex is dangerous. Be careful. Um, Your sex is dirty. It's not okay to have your desires. Don't be a slut. Save it for marriage. You know, all of those messages. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I grew up inside of that. Um, and I had, you know, so I went to school in South Carolina and then ended up in New York, um, in my twenties. And so, you know, I had, um, so much shame around my sexuality and, and really this led me to being a 32 year old woman, right. Trotting around New York. Uh, and this is around the time when we met yeah. <laughs> and I had never had an orgasm. Mm-hmm. I remember you telling me that in a bar yeah. and I was like, huh, huh, come again. <laughs> so women, if you can imagine that, you know, and, and it wasn't even like now what I know, right. is like, 
it's not even about the orgasm. It was just that my body was so frozen and I could not feel. Yeah. And, and I, I had actually a lot of emotion in that I stored in my body and it would sort of come out. I didn't have any agency over it. Like it would just like, you know, come out sideways, like me crying in a corporate conference room over something, you know, small. Yeah. I just didn't have any, um, I didn't have any approval for feeling for my feelings and I couldn't really fully experience the sensation and pleasure that's available, you know, in my body now. Yeah. And so I was starting to, um, I was, I was, you know, began my coaching practice and you sort of know the story there, which, you know, that was a huge breakthrough for me to like leave my corporate job. I mean, I remember I made $15,000 the first year that I was a coach. So the year before I met you, when I was still at my full-time job, you know, I made about $15,000 yeah. <laughs> coaching. Yeah. And shortly after that, I was like, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just uh, go ahead and leave corporate and take my <laughs> practice full-time, like kind of risky. And it turned out great. You know, I built yeah, a successful six figure business and, you know, I was really stepping into everything that I had said that I wanted to create. And I had this amazing, you know, networking group that I was in with you, which was like a family for me. Yeah. And, um, and I was sort of looking around at my life and I'm like, ah, this sexuality thing, mm. I mean, I guess I need to address this. You know, it was like, it was like the code It was like, I was right. It was the code I couldn't crack. Well, I will say like knowing you, you have such a vibrant personality, but yeah. you are, you at the time, I don't know what, um, since we haven't spent time together, like network, I used yeah. to see you every week, um, right. and, uh, but since we haven't like spent time together every single week for a period of time, right. yeah. I, um, I, I just don't know how you operate now, but back then you were very structured. You were still like very oh, structured yeah. in your approach. Like right. everything was still very like, uh, like you, even your outfits, like you, I like literally when we came on, I was like, are you wearing a maxi skirt? Because you were like queen of the maxi skirts. And I always used to tell you that, but you yeah. always had like a cute sweater or like a bow or something. Like everything was very structured and, and very, Polka dots. yes, totally. And I loved it. Like, yes, yeah. I love it. But it makes sense for what you're talking right. about in that period of your life. Makes oh my gosh. This is so healing for me to talk to oh, you. <laughs> it's seriously <laughs> because I, I feel so seen, you know, because you really saw that you've seen the evolution. And yeah, at that time, my life was very like everything fit into a box. It made sense. Yeah. I had a plan for everything. I had it all figured out. And then there was this one thing that mm. I couldn't figure out. And that was my orgasm. And deep under that, it was like my relationship to my body. Yeah. You know, I really, I really thought that I was broken. And so I was sort of already in this conversation of like, hmm, sexuality, maybe I should do something about this. Right. And then I got, get this MS diagnosis. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Like, do you feel comfortable diving into that? Yeah, I would love to, you know, it was like the shock of all shocks. I remember, I remember you said, I have some like weird tingliness in my arm, but I I know acupuncture is going to help. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. I was like, I don't know what's happening. And I went, this was actually right when I joined that, that group, the networking group, you know, and you all just like rallied around me. (laughs) I was like, I don't know what's happening. I spent months going to doctors who had no answers for me. And then I finally got um, a scan of my brain and received this diagnosis, you know? And so my left eye was blurry. My left arm was blurry. And, you know, once again, it was like down that pathway of, oh, my body is broken. I am fundamentally broken. Gosh. And I just remember, I didn't know the sexual component. Like I didn't know that at the time. Right. Yeah. But I remember when I remember everyone rallying around you because we saw each other every week. Like when you see people every week, you get to know them. That's the purpose of, of connecting with people in this way. Um, And you and I lived close to each other. And I remember um, keeping like kind of mental track of like when you had been going to see our friend, Jamie, who's been on the show um, in acupuncturist and and she and you are working so hard on like your insurance and like everything. And then, then it just kind of felt like this huge flood after your diagnosis of like, Whoa, Oh my gosh. Yeah. How did it feel for you? I was just on my hands and knees. Yeah. Yeah. This was. Oh, I love you. I just want to say that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was sort of like the, one of the first times I can remember in my life, like not being able to control the living shit out of something. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And like, it just wasn't there. There's nothing you can do there. You can like fight it or you can surrender. Yeah. And so I was, I felt insane. I felt broken and I also felt deeply loved, right? I mean, you were there at my house every morning helping me with steroids. Like (sighs) I will never forget that experience of allowing support it yeah. is so humbling. And I'm like, I just met this woman, but she's my neighbor and she seems amazing. <laughs> and she said she would come over and help me take these drugs. And I'm scared. And we're on the phone with my sister. You know? Oh my God. Yeah. That like, I will, cause I remember you had a nurse come and help you set it up. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, anything you need, like I live close to you. I'll come over. Like, yeah, I'll be there. Like, I'll just sit with you, you know? Yeah. And then you were like, okay. Cause you had an IV in your hand that they had right. put in. Yeah. And so we had to screw in your medication through your IV. And we were so scared because <laughs> there were bubbles forming in the IV. And yeah. we were like, <laughs> I just were on the phone with your sister. <laughs> and she's like, you have to get the bubbles out of get the, the IV. Bubbles. So you're sitting there. I'm flicking <laughs> the cords were freaking out and I was like oh my god I can't kill Kaylin today like I don't know what's going on what we were fine but it was just right wild. it was like wild and scary yeah. to like be that vulnerable to letting yes. that much support and love and I and I think I mean that had been a practice of mine but that was like the practice of all practices to right. really let you like people and let you in, in that way. It was an honor you know? and, and I'm oh. happy I could be there. You know, uh, we didn't know each other that well, but sure as hell we got to know yeah. each other right after. 
Ooh, yeah. Ah. Episode 49, Choosing Motherhood and My Career with Shireen Strasberg. When, when you had children um, and you were working in this career, you moved from Los Angeles to New York, correct? Yeah, we actually moved while we were still trying to get pregnant. So mm-hmm. um, I ended up getting pregnant a year after we moved to New York. So I had already gotten a full-time job in graphic design. Yeah. How did things switch in your life once you had a child and you were working in this new career? <laughs> Crazy. So what happened is I got this, you know, junior or first, my first job basically in graphic design in New York city. And we got pregnant and I had the baby three weeks shy of my one year anniversary at this company, which means I didn't qualify for FMLA. And, um, no. I mean, I could sit here in my soapbox for hours and talk about this. I'm actually really yep. happy that it's like it's finally becoming a much more open dialogue, like in politics. And um, (laughs) it's uh, a very frustrating topic um, because I don't think there's been a whole lot of growth in the last, I don't know, 200 years, um, let alone the last two years. Um, So I, so basically they said to me, they're like, well, we need you back like right away. And it was like, uh, okay. And they're like, so, you know, we'll give you six weeks unpaid, of course, because I didn't have like enough vacation. <laughs> so I was like, okay, six weeks. Great. Um, okay. And then I was like, can I get a few more weeks? And they're like, well, maybe nine still unpaid. And, um, so basically I had my baby and he was a very, uh, I don't want to say he was fussy cause he wasn't colicky, but it was just, it was a struggle. Like it was a baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I, you know, we struggled with getting him to latch when I was nursing Yeah, same. and then finally when he did latch, we then wouldn't, he couldn't take a bottle cause it took so long to get him all these things. Um, and, uh, so at, at nine weeks, I was like, I, I, I just, I can't, I cannot, just give this baby to someone else to take care of. And I, I quit my job mm-hmm. and, um, it was, it was obviously just a mix of emotions. Like I love this little human being in my life and I want to be with him, but I also can't imagine leaving him right now and working in a job that was like, you know, not the most passionate filled job. It was good. I liked the work. I liked the people, but not enough to, to leave my, my nine week old baby. Mm-hmm. I think so, this is yeah. <laughs> something I have, I hear time and time and time again, um, when we're talking about family leave and women having children in the workplace, um, you know, there are some women who have to go back to work two weeks after giving birth. It's just, it's insane. And I could talk uh, about this for hours as well. But, um, I think what (laughs) really comes up for me is number one, anger. (laughs) When you talk about that story and this frustration, this huge frustration that women are, are being families are being forced to choose between their career and taking care of their child when, I just firmly believe if you give people the resources to take care of their children, they will remain so loyal to your company and not having it be after a certain amount of time, after a year, after six months, whatever, people will be so much more loyal to your work and to you. If you give them more support, I'm sure you would not have left that job 
if they had given you more time with your child, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would, I would have stayed there, um, at, at least for another year. Um, but it just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a fit. It was not, you know, I kind of have just had to like, let it go. It was not meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, and of course what happened is then, so I was home full time, which was exhausting. So tiring. <laughs> People just do not understand. <laughs> It was harder than working. So after about like six months, after I kind of got my, my legs under me and we had like a routine and he was sleeping through the night or maybe one feeding him through the, in the middle of the night. Um, I was like, I, I think I want to go back to work. I think it'll actually be easier than taking care of my kid. Um, and I mean, you know, we had already really formed an incredibly strong bond at that point. His first word was mama. I mean, you know, it was (laughs) amazing. Um, and so I went back to work and that process was devastating because first of all, I couldn't find work for months because I was out of the workforce. And so, you know, people would see this gap on my resume and it's like, Oh, a gap. Oh my God. What did you do? And it's like, I don't know. I brought a human into the world. Yeah. Um, secondly, with this, the type of work I was doing graphic design, you know, there's constantly like new updates, new software updates. And it was like, well, you know, what have you done currently? As if like, I didn't take six years off. I took six months off, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, and then also the interview process was really challenging for me because I didn't have, uh, like I didn't have a, a childcare center where I could say, Oh, could you just watch him for two hours while I go in and interview? And if I get the job, then maybe you can have him full time. You know, there, there wasn't an opportunity. And my husband didn't have the flexibility to just stay home for a couple hours while I went and interviewed. Yeah. And, and that I, was hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds really frustrating and really hard. And I would also imagine that, you know, the thing that I find is, people who are not attuned or like companies that aren't attuned to having working moms um, aren't really like thinking about scheduling your interview time around that. And like, yeah, like like I have an interview at seven 30 at night, please. Right. Right. Like, (laughs) but I think if I was hiring someone who might be the best candidate, just because I've gone through this, I'd be like, okay, let's try it. You know, like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's just not, (laughs) we're not setting up people to win (laughs) in these situations. Um, and we're, I'm, I'm sure part of you didn't feel like you could share certain elements of that, um, scheduling conflict when you were being approached for interviews, because you just got the interview. So you're like, oh yeah, I want to make this work. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. There was, there was one, one interview in particular. I'll never forget this. I did have a babysitter to watch my son while I went for the interview, except the babysitter called like an hour before the interview and said that her basement was flooding and she had to cancel. And my husband was traveling that day. So I couldn't lean on him. And she said, okay, just, um, send me, send me an email with other times. Well, that day there was construction work in my building and our internet was down and my baby was sleeping. So I couldn't leave the bill. And I was just like, oh my God, like, like planets are just aligned against me. Like this job was just not meant to be right. Like (laughs) the roof should have just flown off of your building and swirled you into a tornado or something like just like keep it coming. But like, I just really, um, I don't think people necessarily going back to this whole process, understand the logistics it takes, um, when you are caring for a child and you are working. Um, and I also think, there's 
really a lack of understanding um, around being at home with a child versus working. Like you were saying, it felt harder. Um, Because in my experience, when you're working, you can go to the bathroom when you want to go to the bathroom. You can eat when you want to eat. You can like go have a conversation with another person and step away for the moment. And that's just not something you can necessarily do when you're taking care of um, a child throughout the day. (laughs) And I guess my, so obviously you found another role and you had another child. Yes, yes, Um, I did. And so I'm assuming some stability did come into your life and some more support in this area, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I was able to find a full-time job finally. Um, Of course, at way reduced pay. That was, I took a $15,000 pay cut. Oh my um, God. Which was devastating. Um, and I was really torn about it. And again, this is where my husband really came in as a support network that basically, I, you know, I said to him, I'm like, I'm basically almost paying someone else to watch my kid and paying to work at this company because the cost of childcare is so high versus what I was making. And he really believed in me and was like, this job, although the pay isn't good, the work you're going to be doing is good. And I would be learning a lot and having amazing opportunities. And so it was like, okay, I will take this job and I will grow and take it as far as I can um, and and see what happens. And so that's, so I was there for almost two and a half years and I did have a second child and took maternity leave uh, while I was on that job and then returned. Um, And then the amazing opportunity came along to freelance and then left it to start my own company. Episode 36, Cultivating Authenticity with Jasmine Williams. How are you helping people see their worth? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, that to me is kind of the crux of what I do. Like, that is the goal. Like, I had a friend of mine who... um, in a way, like, it sounds weird, uh, but I kind of created the course with her in mind, because Mm -hmm. I actually met her at this co-working space, and I could just tell that she had it, you know, she Mm -hmm. was super talented, she was a super talented writer, um, just extremely smart, very driven, um, but I could tell that she was kind of just stuck and didn't quite, wasn't quite owning her potential, Um, and right away, I just was, like, very open with her, I was like, this is, this is what you should be charging minimum. Like, these are the kinds of people, like, can I introduce you um, to people? Because I just knew that she just needed a push, you know, you just needed that open door um, to, to see it. And then now she's gone through the program and um, just actually celebrated her first five figure month, which is just incredible. Um, And I'm just so excited because I was like, this is, I knew you had it, you know, I knew you had the potential to, to get here and to do this. Uh, You just needed maybe an example or just uh, a sign (laughs) uh, or encouragement, whatever it is. Um, And that's what I, that's what I feel like the course and like, I guess the mentorship stuff that I do, that's really what I try to, to do is just, I always say like, yes, I'm, I'm teaching you, but it's not like a talk 
top down kind of situation. I feel like it's very much a, a mentor. I, I try to facilitate at least ways for everybody to support one another. Uh, Cause I think that's really key is rem remembering that everybody has expertise, right? Like the people coming mm. into this program, if you want to freelance or start a freelance business, it's probably because you're pretty good at the thing that you want to freelance right. at, right? At least good enough that you think that people will pay you a decent amount of money for. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> why not, like, I'm, why bring that into it? You know, like I have legal experts and other people and I love when they chime in, they're like, oh, actually I can help review that contract for you. I'm like, yes, oh, <laughs> please. Community. I love that so <laughs> yeah. much. Yeah. I just so, think that's yeah. so important. And um, so when you're creating these spaces, how does that impact you? Like when you're hearing about this person who has a five figure month and, you know, something I also wanted to talk to you about is how you present yourself online. Cause I am obsessed with it. And, <laughs> um, but when you have, um, you know, these successes and you feel this community, how does that feel for you? Oh, it's the best feeling in the world. Like, even I say, like, of course, the numbers, that sort of thing are great. But it's just, it's all the little wins, big wins, little wins. Like, I love when people say, you know, I fired a client because mm. they weren't working out for me. And I used the scripts that you wrote. And I just had your voice in my head saying, you know, like, you deserve better. It's like, that's, to me, it's, it's everything. Because, I mean, I was fortunate to to get access to mentorship sort of in that way. Um, but I just, to me, that was everything. Like even having somebody like Shauna where I could message her early on and I would be so careful too with her, um, which is also partly why I wanted to create a program because when I met her, I was like, oh, she knows a lot. I do not want to <laughs> be, annoy her, you know? Like sure. I don't want to be too needy. Um, so I'd always kind of space out my questions. And so that was another you have thing. like a list. You're yeah, like, I'd be okay, like, I have, I have a lot of things, but I'm like one, it's like going to the doctor. It's like one thing per, per visit. <laughs> um, and so that's also a thing I wanted to create, which is like, I wanted a space where people could just come and, you know, be messy or just like, like ask as many questions as they want and not feel limited in that way. Not, of course, you know, this is not reflecting on my friend at all. I'm just saying that like, of course, having, there's something about having a formal program where it's like you are given permission to, to ask and to be supported and to, to get what you need. Um, yeah, it's just, it is, it's everything. Like I just really, yeah, I love the, I love I can, the space that it's, that's created. Yeah. I mean, I can tell that you love it and you love supporting people. And I think there's beauty in the mess. You know, there's beauty in uh, being able to be messy with other people, to be vulnerable. Because yeah. I think so much of what you're touching on is vulnerability and having right. the um, the vulnerability mindset of like, oh, I'm going to be courageous right now. And I'm going to mm -hmm. ask my friend this question. Um, I'm going to pull out my sticky notes and write it all down. Um, or I'm, you know, going to create a space where people can be vulnerable because I needed that. And yeah. I um, can reflect upon my journey. Uh, has vulnerability come naturally to you? Or is that another muscle that we've been talking about that you've had to flex too? Yeah, I think it's definitely a muscle. Um, it's not something that uh, naturally comes easy to me. It's like I usually try to keep my cards pretty close to my chest. Mm. Um, but I did find it just being online. I, I, I think 
honestly, last last summer and the events that happened with, in terms of like George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, that yeah. honestly really changed changed me and changed completely changed how I showed up online. Like before, I would really want to be super polished, super professional. Everything was scheduled. Uh, you know, it was it was fun and pretty but like there, it wasn't there wasn't too much of me you know there was still a bit of me that was behind I think a wall that I didn't let people see um and then after that happened I I posted a video where I was just talking about diversity and inclusion and that video just blew up it went viral yeah that's how and I found you <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that to me was just completely shocking because I was like what what is happening. Um, and after taking time to really process it, I realized it's like, what is happening is just me, like people yes. are responding to me in the way that I naturally show up without a filter, without anything, like literally there's a garbage can in the background because I'm in a park <laughs> and not think of course that it would go viral. No, if it did, but, but also go somewhere you. Else. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was just me sitting in the park, sharing my thoughts. And that's what really resonated with people. And I kind of realized I'm like, okay, then I just need to be me. And I just really leaned into um, just sharing whatever I felt I needed to share. Like there's still some things I think that I keep to myself, which I think yeah. is okay and important. Like I'm not the kind of person to, you know, be crying on my Instagram stories or, or something like that. Um, but I'm definitely just, yeah, a lot, a lot more unfiltered and just seeing the response, I realized that I didn't need to hide. I think it was coming from a place of insecurity, honestly. Like oh, I wow. felt like I needed to be a certain person online in order to, for people to like me, you know, <laughs> which sounds oh. sad, but I think probably a lot of people can relate to that. So many people can relate <laughs> to that. And thank you for sharing all of that. Mm -hmm. And I found you through that video and I have been following your journey since then because I just really resonated with so much of what you said. And I wanted to learn more about you mm -hmm. and I wanted to just see who you were and like what content <laughs> you, you know, created and what your business was about. And, but I, but I also think that something you're also talking about is, well, lots of things swirling in my brain, but people pleasing is something, you know, I feel like as women were always battling with in general. And then yeah. also, I think a lot of what you're talking about, and we've talked about this on the show before is white supremacy culture mm -hmm. and <laughs> um, adapting to uh, white supremacy culture and the patriarchy and certain standards that mm -hmm. we all have around what we should look like online, how should we, how we should present ourselves. Um, you know, I think that's why I have a lot of qualms with uh, corporate culture mm -hmm. and with the nine to five kind of culture that we have going on in this um, world. And also with uh, the mindset we have around who and, you know, what a leader is. And yeah. it's one of the reasons why I started this show, because there are just so many people out there that are sharing moments like you did in the park in front of a trash can, you know, like <laughs> where you were just talking to people. And look at how that resonated with so many people. Look mm -hmm. at how many people saw your leadership and saw you and saw the words that you were saying and, and felt them and felt their importance and wanted to connect with you and that and wanted to hear more from you as a leader uh, in what you are doing in your life. Mm -hmm. I think that so much of what white supremacy culture tells us is bullshit and we have mm -hmm. to 
wrap ourselves up in this pretty nice bow. And um, that's just not life. So I think mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I was drawn to your content and how you present yourself online is because uh, of who you are and uh, how resourceful you are in hearing more of your story. It's not shocking that that's now what you present um, mm-hmm. to the world is you. So I guess my question is now, like, how, um, what, what are your goals from here? You know, like you've spent the last year really like embracing yourself in that moment. Um, you know, when George Floyd was murdered was so pivotal for everyone in this country. I mean, for me, certainly, Mm -hmm. um, but for, you know, black people in the world, obviously that was a moment that was, um, you know, has deeply resonated. And I've talked to several women on the show about it. What is your goal moving forward in your business now that you've had this like huge moment um, over the past year of transformation? Yeah. I mean, it's something honestly that I'm still kind of figuring out what I I want. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like I definitely don't have like a five-year plan or anything really mapped out. Like I have some goals and ideas, but they'll probably shift and change. Um, Right now I'm honestly just testing some new things out uh, in terms of uh, the mentorship piece. I want to, um, I have some uh, workshops and a new digital product in the works um, because I want to, (laughs) yeah. Um, Cause yeah, I'm just, again, wanting to help people, but wanting, figuring that probably a course or six week course might not be the thing that resonates with everybody. Um, So figuring out how can I still, you know, solve the problem I want to solve, but maybe in slightly different ways. Um, but yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm still figuring things out. I'm still kind of learning about myself. Um, like one thing I'm kind of leaning into just with the summer and I'm hoping beyond the summer is just um, just finding more balance, more time for rest and space yes. um, within my days. Um, so I've been saying no a lot more. I've been oh a bit stricter with my time in terms of um like even when I book calls and the kind of just not having letting people have access to you know 100% of me all the time episode 41 yes ask for your promotion with Jamie Lee I love that you created a space for female allyship to naturally blossom and then you took that female allyship kind of that that backpack of female allyship into workplace with you and you asked in your workplace for what you deserved. So when did the transition happen um, where you started to obviously create these spaces, you started having these conversations and you took this into your own workplace. When did you start to create your own practice where you were beginning to advocate and help other women have these conversations and be that ally for them? How did that transition happen for you? Yeah, so at first it was more like a, like a weekend, night and weekend sort of side hustle where I was going into organizations, colleges, universities, and uh, hosting workshops, facilitating workshops. And over time, I'm like, okay, what's the next iteration of this? How do I love doing this? This really aligns with my sense of purpose. What's the next step? And I realized through experience that I can teach tactics all day. I can teach tactics and strategy. And 
ultimately it boils down to decide what you want, ask for it, even if they're going to say no. <laughs> and right. if they say no, just get curious with them. Don't quit, right? Just get curious and ask questions and continue the conversation. That's it. That is the strategy. But ultimately, the reason why so many people don't implement the simple strategy is because their self-concept, how they think and talk about themselves to themselves and to others. Mm. Can you elaborate more on that? Yeah. Um, so, so self-concept basically is tied to how you, you generate confidence, self-confidence, right? Yeah. And um, for me, and for many smart women that I know, we are very comfortable and familiar with thinking and um, carrying ourselves as students. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of women, really smart, already promoted, right? Middle managers, they love to learn. They love to get an A. They love to do it just right, right? They learn. They love to meet clear object- objectives. Right? It's like, I have a syllabus. I know how to follow the syllabus. I know how to ace this. Right? Mm-hmm. This is a student mindset. Right? But when you're in the student mindset, you don't write your own syllabus. You right. don't write your own mm-hmm. path to promotion. You don't go, oh, but this is the vision of what is possible. And I am the leader to make that vision happen. Right. Right. So that is a different self-concept that is thinking about you as the woman in charge, as a leader of people, of projects and of teams. Yeah. Yeah. And so many women are becoming leaders of teams and projects, but their self-concept is still somehow a little bit in the student mindset rather than I am the woman. I am the person in charge. I am the authority in this. Yeah. I, I am very fascinated by how this has translated into obviously your work and, and when you are speaking with uh, your clients now about this, um, but when you first started out, um, what did your first client look like? What, what was your first um, win with someone where you could have them own that, that where they weren't necessarily the student and where they were owning that power and advocating for a promotion. Um, yeah. What was that well, win? Yeah, one of my earliest clients, she uh, has a background in engineering, computer science, but she was working in healthcare field, um, like helping to implement a new health information management system. And because she had a uh, computer science background. That was what her education, that this was who she was as a student. So when she realized, oh, now my job really is about communicating and managing projects and expectations, she felt like her job was like a commodity, wasn't as important. Like her words, not mine, but this job is like toilet paper, you know? Wow. <laughs> and, and over time, you know, we worked on the mindset that she brought to herself uh, and to her workplace communication. Like, what is the value that she is really bringing here? What is the Mm -hmm. impact of her contributions? Because it's not just like wiping butts here, right? 
As yeah. somebody who's managing this project, you are making things happen in a way that serves millions of patients from here and into, you know, into the lifetime of this new technological solution. Right. Right. So she also had to see her role from a bigger perspective and think about it from the perspective of what is the benefit? What is the beyond impact of the work that I am doing? And anchor her work, anchor her um, communication from that perspective. And so over time, she realized my work is really important. Yeah. And C-level executives, they rely on me. They rely on me for information. I, I add value. I add right. value to this work and this work is valuable. That was the perspective shift that was, uh, that was crucial for her to start thinking about her promotion and then start talking to senior executives as the leader that she is. Episode 29, Diverse Bodies Deserve Representation with Mia O'Malley. Sometimes people are a little bit hesitant to share their experiences in different um, platforms, but... I want to see that brands um, cater more to fat bodies because we are, for, you know, we are 60, at least according to a very old study, we are at least 68% of the population, like US women are 68% of us are size 14 and up. And I think it might be size 16 and up, but um, yeah, so yeah. I want more people to, I want more brands, more companies to cater to our bodies and also put us up in our, in their marketing and let's yeah. see photos of people who look like us. Let's see videos of people who look like us so we can know what things will really look like on us and be able to make those informed buying decisions and be able to know that we can shop at the store or, or that Peloton's an option for me or, you know, yeah. or that this other this other bike fits me better, or like is better for my body. So um, I think brands need to do a lot more to, to basically what they're doing by not, by excluding us from representation on their site is they're creating this perceived inaccessibility to their products. And whether intentionally or in, unintentionally, uh, it just needs to stop. Um, and so I would, I would like, I would like to see that. Um, I certainly feel that way in terms of baby wearing carriers mm -hmm. um, and have pushed for representation um, and, you know, representation in tutorials, representation in um, their marketing. And, you know, and that's been really receptive. And sometimes it really is a matter of just, you know, tapping someone on the shoulder and being like, hey, did you know that like, I, I, I don't even know if I can use your product because you don't have anybody who looks like my size. You didn't list the waistband length, you know, like you didn't list, you know, like other things, like sometimes they, ju it just doesn't occur to people, especially if they don't yeah. live in a larger body, it does not occur to them to do these things. So it's more of like, I want to make people aware and tap people on the shoulder. Um, so I would like to see that. A, yeah. a huge shift in marketing and advertising and using diverse bodies. It's happening, but it's slow. So would I, that would be great. Um, and I think it would be uh, lovely to see that, you know, I would love to go on to a website and see people with different bodies represented for each piece of clothing, you know, and have a dress worn by people who look like me and people who look like my friends. It would, it would be so meaningful. Um, 
I I know we're coming to the hour, which is wild. Yeah, um, it went really fast. I know. So thank fast. you. I know. Thank you so much for your time this morning. And it's been lovely to talk to you about all of this. It's been great talking to you. As we're wrapping up, um, I'd love to know what has all of this done for you? You know, how, how has all of this made you feel? Just being, sharing your voice, connecting with people, um, putting yourself out there in this way. You're very vulnerable. You're very open with your experience. You show your body actively on camera. Um, and that is awesome and beautiful. And I know I've resonated with that, which is why we're connecting today. But what has this done for you personally? Yeah. So I'll tell, I'll just tell a quick story. Um, my, so when I got married, I was, um, when I had my wedding, I was probably the lowest weight I had ever been and, you know, went to extreme measures to get to that weight. I'm sure we, like a lot of us can, um, that resonates with a lot of us. Um, uh, weddings are like huge parts of diet, uh, diet culture is a huge part of weddings. Right. So, um, Anyway, I was the lowest weight I had ever been. And um, when I was there at my wedding, I, I it was like a beautiful wedding. It was like, couldn't have been more perfect. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just picture perfect. And when I saw myself, um, I, I didn't like what I saw. All I saw was my lower belly. I saw that I hadn't done enough arm workouts and I wish my arms looked smaller. And... Um, like that's what I saw on that day. And it was slowly after that, when I saw the pictures and I saw how beautiful everything was, I was like, you know what, this is the last thing that, um, this is the last year that this steals my joy. Mm -hmm. Um, this is the last moment that, um, this body image stuff is going to steal from me. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to let this ha- continue to happen. Cause this is like a big moment. It's like a milestone moment. Right. It's like, there, this isn't happening anymore. And that really set me on um, a path of, you know, like shifting my mindset and, um, and, you know, getting to where I am now. But I think that specifically in sharing my stories. So, so what happened there at my wedding is a complete disconnect, right. In, into, what my body actually was and what I was seeing and photographing myself and sharing my story and then surrounding myself with people who are doing the same um, has allowed me to reconnect with my body. And when I look in the mirror, I see my body for what it actually is and not the imperfections and the wishing it would shrink and all this stuff. So like, it's like when you look at a photo of yourself, right. And, and you remember, and you, maybe you were smaller than you were now. And you, you say, Oh God, I thought I was so fat in that photo. And you know, why didn't I enjoy that, that vacation I was on? Why didn't I do that? I said to myself, I do not want to do this ever again. I do not want to look at a photo and say like, oh, when I was taking those photos, I hated the way I looked and I was sucking in my stomach and I was just paranoid about what the photos were going to look like. I was like, that's it. Like, I'm never going to do that again Yeah, because it steals my joy. When I took photos most recently, um, family photos uh, last fall, I didn't think about my body one time. How and then- funny. Oh my God, it was incredible. Right. And then 
when I didn't think about my body one time. And when I look back on those photos, all I saw was how fun that whole experience was, how much I loved my dress and that is healing. And so I wish that for everyone. Um, obviously literally I'm not, <laughs> obviously I'm not perfect. I certainly have days and, you know, things I battle with. I, I battle sometimes, but I, I, it doesn't steal my joy anymore. I don't walk into a room and go like, oh God, I wish my body looked different or I wish I had lost 10 pounds before I came here. That doesn't happen to me anymore. But it took surrounding myself with people who look like me and you know, doing work to take photos of myself and face my body and, and really like really take a look at it that, to change my internal dialogue. And it takes a lot of work, but it is possible. I hope you enjoyed this episode of looking back on past episodes of the show. I feel emotional <laughs> right now just listening to these clips and editing them together. It feels so incredible just to hear these women's voices and their stories. And it. I'm so happy I did this because... It's just a reminder to me of why this show is so important to me, of why I've kept going, why these words need to be heard in these stories and these women's voices just need to be heard. And I definitely want to do one of these again. I mean, I I just adore doing this. I adore all of you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here every single week. I will see you on Friday with a solo episode. Um, Never, ever forget that your voice matters and your story matters. And I'll see you on the next episode of the Amplify Her podcast. Bye, everyone. I am so grateful that you've listened to this episode of the Amplify Her podcast. If you're listening to this and you don't follow the show, one thing that would help the show tremendously is if you open that Apple app, if you're listening to it on Apple, click on the title of the show and on the top right hand corner, click that plus sign so you don't miss an episode. Not only does it help me to grow this show, but it helps you to be in the loop when episodes drop every Wednesday and every Friday. If you're listening to this show on Spotify, click on the show title of this episode to take you to the full listing of them and click follow. That way you won't miss a new episode as it comes out. For more information about the Amplify Her podcast, Amplify Her media, and the Amplify Her networking group, head to www.amplifyhermedia.com.